Welcome to the Cashflow Legends Podcast with your hosts, Nate, Brandon, and Brock. Remember, our insights are not direct financial advice, so consult with your financial team before making any decisions based on the topics discussed in this show. Welcome back to Cashflow Legends. My dudes, Nate and Brock, are here. We are excited about talking about good debt and bad debt, or good debt versus bad debt. And I think it's really important that the versus is in there because a lot of times when you hear people talking about debt, there's no clarification on what kind of debt is it? What is it providing or what is it taking away? So to frame this conversation today and really to dive in immediately, what's good debt? What's bad debt? Is that a question for me, Brandon? Brock, it's all <laughs> yours. I'm putting it on a tee for you. Awesome. So good debt. This is how I describe it to most people. So good debt is long term periods, low interest, and it's deductible. Mm. And it's usually it's usually used for purchasing assets or creating uh, more, uh, we'll say, stability or um, an abundant mindset somewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times car notes are not good debt. However, if you're a business owner, you can get them to perform as good debt. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bad debt is short time frames, pay periods, high interest, and it is not deductible. Pretty, pretty, uh, Cut and dry in regard to good debt versus bad debt. So how many, okay, so we get to have these conversations every day. And when people come to us, this is an important piece that we say often. We are always just the sum in that moment of the best thinking that we've been aware of to that point. This is very common. This is something that we tell people because a lot of times there's a a sheepish, uh, entrance into the conversation if somebody's carrying a lot of bad debt. And it's very obvious pretty quickly if it's bad debt, credit card debt, high interest. Pause, pause, time, time out. Let's just, let's take a step back. I don't think we're, in, none of us are in this, in this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would Let, agree. Can we like pause the recording for just a second, Nate? Yeah. All right, welcome back to Cashflow Legends. We are stoked to be here today. I've got Nate and Brock, and we are talking about something that you hear all over the internet, all over TikTok, all over whatever social media platform that you follow about debt. Sometimes you'll hear somebody maybe mention good debt. Sometimes you'll hear somebody maybe mention bad debt. But we want this to always be a place you can come to that simplifies the things that are often made complicated for no reason about money, which then paralyzes most people to take action on anything. So in a very simple breakdown, Brock, tell us how you describe good debt and how you describe bad debt. Yeah, so very simply, good debt is long pay periods, low interest, and it's deductible, okay? Most of that is is very... um, easy to understand. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say, if you are a business owner, sometimes we do lump some other things in there, like car notes, because sometimes we can have them perform better for us as a business owner. Mm -hmm. 
bad debt, short, short pay periods, high interest, and it's not deductible. Okay. Those are things like credit cards. Okay. Now I'm going to, you say deductible. Let's imagine that Brandon's a kindergarten student and he wants to understand what that means in, in the realm of finances. What does that mean? Okay. Somebody's never really thought through that before on either side. Great question. What that means is you can deduct a portion of that off of the taxes that you pay later uh, in the year. Okay. So it allows you to keep more of your money. That's correct. Okay. So when we hear good debt versus bad debt, I really want to circle that versus visually like a competition. All of us love sports in some way, shape or form, but you can take any competition you want to think about. Nate, talk us through some times where you see good debt competing versus bad debt and how that normally plays out in your day-to-day -day conversations. Well, um, so I had a, a buddy of mine reach out this past week uh, who's a police officer, and he said, man, I, I don't know anything about money. I know that I don't understand the stock market or anything like that. I've been listening to your podcast, and um, – I feel like y'all are just speaking Spanish to me. So <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, I said, well, you know, let, let's have some conversations because we can, we can really simplify things um, and, and kind of meet you where you're at. So somebody mm -hmm. was just listening, trying to figure out at a very basic level, when I'm having conversations with people about good debt and bad debt, good debt is going to put men ultimately going to put money in your pocket. It's going to create a net positive outcome. Bad debt's going to take money out of your pocket. Okay. And the distinction um, in, in most personal finance uh, conversations that are out there, there's not much of a distinction between good debt and bad debt. You know, I think about Dave Ramsey as an example. He doesn't talk about good debt. He just talks about debt is bad. And, if you had no financial background, no financial knowledge whatsoever, and the only thing you could do is, is stay out of debt, that's better than most things. But the reality is, once you start taking those steps and understanding that you can be much more efficient with the money that's flowing through your life and use that to your advantage, that's when it becomes really powerful. The process and the concept that we do about infinite banking and about using whole life insurance as an example is showing someone how to properly apply the principle of leverage in their life by creating an environment that they have a level of control over. Hmm. Yesterday, I got to have breakfast with one of our members who was a friend long before he became a member of ULC. He sat down so excited. So this is a really cool story. So we're sitting there, we're having breakfast. I told him to bring his list of questions. He and his wife have their first whole life policy. They're really stoked about that. They've got their max insurability locked in. He spent two to three years really trying to wrap his brain around reading, becoming your own banker. And he would ebb and flow in and out. And I would just meet him wherever he was at because we've had good mentors. I said, meet them where they're at. And so he finally started. He's also listened to all of our podcasts. So he had a baseline. And so he sits down and he says, now, I'm, this is going to surprise you. He said, but I've already listened to all your podcasts. 
And I listened to the book that Brock recommended about real estate. That is, uh, I think he heard a recommendation. I think it was from a Kim Butler book, maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And he said, my brain is on. Now, this is a very low key guy. He don't get excited about much. He's about as steady as they come. And I can see the excitement on his face, which is really cool. And he goes, you know, even when we started our whole life policies and I got our max insurability, he said, I completely understood that. I was in. He said, but after listening to that book, I now recognize that I can start creating good debt to start getting me where I want to go faster than what I thought I had to wait on because he already has overcome. He is already able to delay gratification. He's always been good at saving cash and he's hardly ever had any debt. But he talked to me about the, the, the hurdle, if you will, of getting over to the other side of, okay, now I'm going to possibly take on good debt and what that looks like. But the, here's the key piece. What did that book cost him on Audible or wherever he got it? 10, 15 bucks, maybe. The cool thing about that is, is the impact it's had on him in such a short period of time because of the other information that he had chosen to learn about and get connected with us and begin to implement. So now he's going, and guys, you hear this all the time. Now he's going, I really think I should have expanded my system to a little bit bigger system earlier. And I'm like, that's okay. That means you're putting in the time and the energy and effort to understand this. And I'm here as your coach to encourage you or help reshape a thought if you're not sure on something. So that's a real life example. But here was the piece that I want to hear you guys comment on and think about. How crippling can bad debt be or the psychology behind not understanding the difference between the two in somebody's lifetime? It can be extremely crippling, especially um, those people who may be doctors. I mean, some of them, they'll come out of school, dentists, doctors, any type of somebody in the medical field. I've seen people come out of there with $400,000 of student debt. Like it's, it can get pretty bad pretty quick. And if you don't know how to separate yourself from the math and economics, it, it can drown you out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. I've, I've Nate, heard stories about people who, you know, went in hundred thousands of dollars in, in debt for degrees that, you know, they might only make 40, 50 grand a year. And the chances of them actually getting that offer while just almost non-existent. Um, and you know, when you see situations like that, you think, did they not like sit down and do the math or were they just content to say, I'm just going to be in debt the rest of my life. And mm. this is what I've chosen to do. And I'm just going to be in debt the rest of my life. So this is just part of life. Um, you know, we come across people like that who are, who have six figures of student loan debt from time to time. And it's always a regret. Uh, sometimes maybe not in the beginning, but at some point they express the regret of man. I wish I would have done things a little bit different. You know, that's one of the beauties of what we get to do daily. And I want this to really come across if you're listening to this or watching this. We want to, we want to always meet you where you're at. And we always want to be sure that you understand that we understand that we're doing the best that we can to get clarity on 
what the next best step is. When we know that, then it's in your court to decide I'm comfortable with the decisions I'm making, the results are creating, and I'm going to stay here. Or I'm going to start like that member I got to have breakfast with yesterday. I'm going to start doing things different. And in his case, he can't unsee what he's begun to see. Like it, it will shape the rest of his life. I can see it. He's got three, four, five hundred grand in a retirement account. I'm not saying he should or shouldn't keep it there, but in his mind, he's like starting to think if my ultimate goal is to replace my expenses in my life and living with assets that will do that forever and allow me to keep more of my money, he's really starting to think that might be a good jump, jumping point or jump start. And his next question was if I do that, is there a way that we can really? mitigate the tax hit. And then he starts talking about why he's frustrated with why there's even a tax hit there and why he's been having to put his money there. I'm not even, I'm not leading any of this conversation. He's leading it all. I'm just listening. And I, when we got done with breakfast, I said, welcome to my world. Because this is how my brain works and how we get to hang out with people who, do, who think the same way. So let's talk about the psychology a little bit more in regard to debt in general. And I would say that if, most of the most well-known talking heads out there talk about getting out of debt. We have to use the Pareto principle and imagine that at least 80% of the population is in debt, which means that's where the best marketing opportunity is because 80% or more people need help with getting out of debt. So if we think about that, where does debt come from? And this is really going to tie into how easy our world has made it to unconsciously spend money. So one thing that jumps into my mind is instant gratification and where debt comes from normally. You guys want to expand on that a little bit and how, you know, we talked about student loans and, and in the grand scheme of getting a loan to go to school, I think with some thought that could be thought through. Okay. But what about just instant gratification? What do y'all think? Or expand on that. Yeah. So in just to touch on like your, uh, your point there about the student loans, like it's uh, some people, they may not regret it. Like for me, I don't regret my student loan debt that I went out and got because I know that I can, I personally can separate my mindset for why I did it. Mm -hmm. I could, I could have easily stroked a check and paid the enormous amount of money that I did to go to Vanderbilt. <laughs> I was wondering how much it cost, but I had a pretty good idea. But, but instead of doing that, what I did was I instead went and got an asset. Uh -huh. So I know that I can, that asset is going to outperform what the debt is going to grow to. And over time, if I, like for me personally, okay, I know that if I finance that thing for as long as I can, I'm not worried about the interest that I pay. What I'm focusing on is the cash flow that's leaving my world every month. And if I can get that as small as possible, that means I have more resources, more cash flow in my world that I'm able to send to other assets that will eventually allow me to pay that off early if I want to, or have an asset pay that note. And I don't even have to think about it ever again, right? Which I have done. I, my real estate basically pays for my $250 a month payment for my student loan debts over the next 30 years or whatever it is. Right. Yep. Um, and if at any point I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm done. 
I'll just write the check and, and be done. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that answered your question, Brandon. What was the question? No, it, it did touch on it. It was really the idea of where oh, does... instant, instant gratification. So, mm -hmm. but then you get into the con the thought process of instant gratification. And I talk about this a lot because it's twofold, right? There's instant gratification of we want what we want now. And then there's the instant gratification piece of, oh, we want to be wealthy now. And we're going to try all the get rich quick schemes we can mm -hmm. to get rich now. Right. Mm -hmm. And we just, we, we don't have the, I'm going to use the word mental capacity. I don't think it's the right word, but we don't have the mental capacity or the disciplines to say, Hey, I'm playing the long game here. I want to live a long life. So I'm going to play the long game. And oftentimes, you know, we can put ourselves in that instant gratification, putting ourselves in debt, whether that's buying a phone, whether that's buying a new car, maybe a house that we just shouldn't have. Like I always, it's always funny. I'll go to these, I'll talk to uh, these young guys under the age of 30 that are making a million plus. And I look at their houses and I'm like, buddy, why, why did you get this big of a house? Like why, what was the reasoning behind this? And a lot of times it was for the sole fact of because I needed a nice place to be so people could see it and it looked nice and it would show my professionalism or my success. And to me, I would, if you can step back and say, you know, young, being young, it's cool. I could probably flash the things I need to flash a different way. But if I can build wealth behind the scenes that's invisible that nobody really even knows about, one day, I promise, one day it becomes noticeable and you don't have to do anything about it. You know, the microwave changed our culture. Um, you know, you think about this appliance, you know, the, the oven was something that people would put money in, uh, put food in. <laughs> they in. might hide it in there. <laughs> I got I got food and money on my brain at the same time. So you put put in there, you know, you set the temperature, set the uh, all that stuff, set the timer, and then at some point the food will be ready. Um, the microwave changed all that, and uh, it it sort of built this mentality that we didn't have to wait on stuff as long anymore. And if we go back two generations for for us, Brandon, to our grandparents, our grandparents, and maybe you maybe you a little bit Brock. Um, our grandparents, for the most part, worked and saved up to buy their cars, to buy their house, all those things. Mm -hmm. And then our parents come along and they become adults. And now credit is part of the equation. And now they instantly have all the things that their parents took 20, 30 years to work towards and build up to, to, to have a house and have a car, they can have the exact same stuff their parents do. Mm. But now they're enslaved to the debt that comes along with that. And then our generation comes along and now we can have the same stuff our parents have. You know, we can have a bigger house than our parents have. We can have better cars than our parents have all this stuff. And it's because a bank looks at our income and says, this is what they can afford, not what they should spend. Now you just, I'm going to do my best to connect these. And if I butcher it, y'all just going to give me some grace. But when I was a middle school principal and I got to work with junior high kids daily, 
I came to this realization that one of the greatest things that we could do for them that would never happen because of how the education system is structured now is to have a daily routine that was two to three hours of like being on a farm where you showed up on time, you took care of other things, you checked to make sure they're okay, you checked to make sure that they were producing whatever was going to be feeding you, you know, eggs, milk, you checked your crop to be sure that there were some vegetables because of the need for delayed gratification and a direct correlation between how consistent I'm willing to be and the results that occur from the consistency. Okay. So when I think about today, when you went from the oven to the microwave and you went from delayed gratification to pay for what you wanted to credit on the front side, all that really occurred is who was controlling the rules of the game and they got better at it. That's it. And they made it easier and easier and easier. And I've heard this this week alone, at least five times. Not because I said it, other people said it. They said, it is obvious that I, they are trying to chain me to the system. And this is why if you do not take the priority of understanding the difference between good debt and bad debt, I'm talking to myself too, okay? If the person listening doesn't, bad debt will chain you to a system that will never let you go. It'll chain you to a microwave where it'll let you get far enough to touch the microwave and use it the way you need to, get what you need, and you'll be right back there again, but the chain will never lengthen. It'll get tighter, okay? And it's, and it, and it's heavy. And so, Brock, as you were walking through debt and the psychological side of this, bad debt carries a weight that cannot always be quantified in a way that's just tied to a number. It can affect behavior. It can affect the next decision and the next decision in a way that can literally just bring us to our knees and feel like we never can recover. And then when we get there, then I think a lot of times that's where the people goes, well, it just is what it is. Mm -hmm. And then that, then that generational curse, if you will, is passed. And that's really, you know, we haven't really ever said what each of our individual missions are. We've all heard our stories, but the whole piece of leaving a heritage for our kids and our loved ones and who we care about the most whether we like it or not, some exchange of value, it's dollar bills right now, is going to be involved in that. It'd be no different than if it was livestock, you know, back in the biblical days. And there's still heritage connected to it in an exchange. The piece that I really want us to, to dive into to kind of tidy all of this up is the more certainty and control you create in your financial life, for most of the people we interact with first, it's a plan on how we're going to navigate the bad debt. That's the first piece. Y'all talk through that a little bit, what you see, how that works, really just specific examples of how you evaluate it, how you help somebody evaluate it, how you begin to attack it behaviorally and maybe with their physical assets that they have. Just a couple of you know case studies or examples you can think of. Yeah, great question. So... First, what we do is when somebody comes in and they got some debt that they want to take care of, we're going to look at their what we call their cash flow index. Um, I got this from Garrett Gunderson. But what the cash flow index is going to do is it's going to give us a score that we know which loans are efficient, 
and then inefficient, and then what's kind of in like the caution zone. So we can like put those on the back burners for the ones that are less efficient or inefficient. Once we can do that, now we know the order in which we need to pay these things off with. Okay. And it's not always the one with the highest interest, right? So what you want to do, um, if I remember correctly, we're taking the, um, the principal balance and dividing it by the, or not the principal balance, the overall balance and dividing it by the monthly payment. Um, and we have a scoring system for how it works, why it works. And once, once we have that, now we can take a standpoint of, all right, here's the ones that we need to pay off first. Then using our currents platform, we're able to now corral these dollars that we were sending to these monthly payments, pull them back in, corral them, so that we can now begin attacking the next debt. As we do this, we're able to look at other assets and think about, okay, well, where do we need to um, begin taking care, taking care of some debts? And so one of the things that we talk about a lot is let's say you do have a lot of debt, but you also have the money to pay it off with. Okay. If you are that person, let's say you've got $15,000 in student loan debt and the monthly payment is $500 a month and you have $17,000 in the bank. Well, the question most people would, most people would think, oh, well, I just need to go invest this money so that, you know, I'm getting ready for retirement. But if you take a step back and you think logically for a second, what is the rate of return that you would need to create on that $17,000 to pay the $500 a month? That's the true question that you need to ask yourself. Mm -hmm. Because if you were to take that same $17,000 and pay the $15,000 off, well, you now have $500 a month that's coming back into your world as an inflow that you get to now go put to work somewhere else. Right? Otherwise, you're going to have to come up with some massive principal number that you put in an investment somewhere, earning a, a decent return every year to pay that off, right? So that's first math mathematically and economically. But then when we bring in the psychology, we got to understand, you know, if we take a step back, like one, your debt is your debt. Like as of right now, we can't go back in time and tell you that you can't, that you just didn't take it. Like you have what you have. So now all we got to do is tackle it. Okay. Mm -hmm. We got to detach ourselves from thinking uh, we are our debt, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of talking a lot about like, uh, as in our walk and our faith, it's like we sin, but we are not our sin, right? Mm -hmm. And so with our debt, psych psychologically, we need to understand that we are not these bad choices of the debt okay the second is we got to take a step back and think you know most people especially when it comes to like paying off mortgages they're like oh well if you pay it off in 10 years or you get this all in one mortgage you're gonna pay all this much less interest mm -hmm. well the reality is who knows if i'm gonna pay that interest or not i might mm -hmm. sell the house i might move i might pay it off early like there are so many circumstances that we don't even know but what we can look at is how can we get our monthly payment as low as it can be, even if we stretch it out for as long as possible? Mm -hmm. Because now if we do that, we've decreased our monthly payment. We have more money coming back into our world that we can then send to more productive assets, allowing us to build wealth and tackle that debt, maybe even uh, 
faster than what we originally wanted to. I really like the point you made about we are not our debt. And it's like anything else in our life. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to, the real question, as I was talking to somebody we all know yesterday, he said, the real question is, is how quickly do you learn from it? And how quickly do you apply what you learn from it? And how quickly does that start getting the momentum going in the other direction? It's really, it's not that easy, but it's that simple because we, human nature has this tendency to want to just grovel in the bad decisions we've made instead of going, what can I learn from this? Nate, you want to chime in on that real quick? It feels a lot like a lot of conversations we've had lately about this. Well, it just reminds me like when, when we make mistakes, often we take that mistake and we put a definition to it and we start to identify with that definition of what it, of what it is. And as you, as y'all were talking, you know, and you said, you know, don't let your debt define you. Um, don't let mistakes define you, like move, move past that, you know, understand that you, um, you might be in a place that you're not comfortable in right now. Um, the, the debt or whatever you're dealing with right now might be uncomfortable, but there are tools, there are resources, there are people that around you that you can connect with like us as an example, where we might be able to see something that you can't see. And that's what we find so often with people who come to us um, who are actually navigating through some bad debt is they don't see everything that we see. I think about the example, the case study uh, video that, um, you know, maybe we'll post that in the description. People check it out. The case study video of uh, a debt payoff strategy. This guy comes to me. He was a referral from an existing client. And he said, man, my, my buddy's been telling me about this. I'm excited about it. I've done all the research, you know, books, course, all that stuff. I don't have any money to get started. That's my problem. I said, okay, perfect. Let's have a conversation. Look at everything that he's got going on. And in one conversation, we figured out that he just didn't see everything that that we saw. And we found roughly $1,600 a month in one conversation that he could actually start using to his advantage and start um, I think in 37 months, he had all of his bad debts paid off except his house. So credit cards, student loans, vehicles, all that stuff where he started off with, I don't have any money. And so don't just, as you were saying, don't just sit in the situation you're in and think that there's no way out of it because oftentimes there's going to be people outside of your world that can things that you don't see. So the only way that anything that we're not proud of defines us is if we stay there. That's it. And we carry it through our lifetime. Then that becomes the definition of who we are part of us because we never did anything to change it. Brandon, something that I want to add real quick is the importance of what Nate just said about you need to have somebody on the outside come in and, and, and take a look at what's going on, whether it's us or somebody else. Because, you know, the first thing that I thought of going through that, it was like um, I had a flashback to high school. It was like I'm in a hitting slump. 
I got no idea what's happening. And when you're in a hitting slump, nothing's going right. And you can't mm-hmm. figure it out. You could watch videos. You could do yeah, it's all you, you could do whatever you wanted, but you can't figure it out by yourself. I guess uh-huh. you just can't. But then when I would finally go to somebody, go to my coach, and I'd say, hey, can you please meet with me before school or after school to help me figure this out? Because I can't keep getting out all the time. Mm-hmm. And we just sit down and he said, oh, yeah, that's easy. This is what you're doing. I've been watching. I've been videoing. Here's what's here's what you got to do. This is what you got to change. Mm-hmm. They show you what to change. And then out of nowhere, it's like you start hitting it and you're like, oh, I knew I could do this. I just couldn't see what I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. But because I brought in a third party, somebody who is not in the game, who doesn't have the pressures of the game, can help me. Now I put myself in a better position. There's a piece that you said right there connecting Nate's story to your story that I really think is vital for all of us in any area of life that we want to improve in. There has to be a correlation to where our ability to put down our pride comes into play. Almost always, unless we're just really blessed to have some very close friends who will grab us by the neck and go pull your head out of your rear end. But that's rare. Okay, we have that, but that's not common for most people. So the pride, you have to first come to reckon with, do I have pride that's keeping me in a position that I'm not proud of? It's not getting me the results I want. And then when you reckon with that, then you go, okay, this is an issue. Now where am I going to go start seeking the possibility of somebody giving me a perspective that's not in my situation, but is familiar with how to win or be successful in my situation? And uh, pride is a very, very uh, good thing and a very, very dangerous thing. And you always have to be aware of it. So we hope you enjoyed our time together. We hope you got better clarity on what good debt is and what bad debt is. We also hope that you understand that there is always somebody out there, if you're willing to put down your, your pride and really evaluate that, that is going to be willing to help you if you're willing to ask humbly for their help. And then you really start growing like uh, all the examples we've talked about today. So hope it was uh, something that was a blessing to you. Please remember to hit the like, subscribe buttons and any other button out there that I don't know about because I'm old. I don't keep up with all that stuff. And then also, if you want to send us an email, cashflowlegends with a Z at gmail.com. Like I said, within the next probably quarter, we're going to have a landing page where it's even way easier for you to uh, get access to us if you're ready, when you're ready, how you're ready. And we'll go from there. We hope you enjoyed. Have a great one.